0: Alive and kicking with Claire McKenna on News Talk. You can email the show alive and kicking at newstalk.com or find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Claire McKenna Presents. Coming up this morning, the fabulous pharmacist Laura Dowling was working at a chemist counter for years and sharing her no nonsense approach to health and wellness on her Instagram page. As her followers began to mount, she began to consider making a change. Today, she joins me to talk about making the leap from the pharmacy to set up her own business and product range and Brian Penny went from heroin addict to neuroscientist and he joins me to talk about how change is possible. So two guests talking transformation today and I can't wait for you to hear what both of them have to say. But what kind of a health and wellness week did I have? Well I'm sorry to say the sickness continued. I was absolutely raging. Um maybe I don't really know what it means to actually do nothing and I don't think life knows how you can do nothing but look, I'm fine. It's only a head cold, but it still remains as you can hear it there. And it was commuter week this week at News Talk. Um, I have spoken on this show previously about how I ditched the car and get the bus into town for work now. So I talked to Kieran Cudahy about that on the hard shoulder during the week. And the team had also tasked me with cycling through town. Now, I just live too far away to actually cycle in and out of work, but... I suppose the idea was that if I was to get public transport a certain way and then get on the bike, I would have previously said, "Oh, I'm not, I'm not that kind of person. Oh, I see those rental bikes; they're they're for tourists. I I don't know how to work them. I'm not going to do them." And I'm fascinated by that. I'm fascinated by how we hold ourselves back by just saying, "I'm not that kind of person," or "I just can't do that." And I had to do it for the hard shoulder team. So on Tuesday, I. Downloaded the app, got a bike. It was absolutely easy. There was no problem with it whatsoever. It was grand and foolproof. And then there was that moment where I realised, oh, I'm actually going to cycle this bike through town without a helmet. I didn't think to bring one from home. And what I learned was that cycle lanes are essential. They're essential. You just feel so much happier in yourself um, because when they disappear and it's just you against the traffic, that's when things got a bit hairy. But on the whole, it was a very enjoyable experience. Now, I did look out. It was a gorgeous, sunny, autumn evening. There I was cycling up by Marion Square. I did take a few turns into busy traffic because I did want to really, really make the effort. And there were a couple of turns that I kind of bottled because I just didn't think I felt comfortable enough to start cruising through the traffic. But I will say... That I went on, spoke to Kieran about it, gave it, you know, on the whole a thumbs up that it was very, very doable and I would recommend it. And even on my cycle back after talking to him, I'd already built up confidence. So I think it sort of comes with time. I mean, you do feel like pedestrians and cars aren't thinking about you because they have enough on their plate and you're, you're kind of on your own. And I did stick to the rules of the road and stopped at red lights, but I could actually see what the allure to... Breaking them and going out before the cars is because you just feel like you're a little bit safer. You and the cars on your little two wheels is a little bit vulnerable. But as I say, for commuter week, I learned that sometimes you can do things that you think you can't and it's worth just giving it a go. I found it with the bus and I found it with the bike. So I recommend, I mean, obviously, if you're living in a rural area, it's going to be a bit different. But if there are city bikes around where you live, I suggest even if you're running late to a meeting one day that you hop on and give it a go. You can email the show at newstalk.com Now, Laura Dowling, also known as the Fabulous Pharmacist, has been a regular on this show as I'm a big fan of her and her no-nonsense approach to health advice. And she just has a fantastic energy about her. Well, she has decided to take that energy out of the pharmacy and into the big bad world of business ownership. And she joins me in studio now. Hello, Laura. Hello. <laughs> Before we get into this leap that you have made with your energy, can we go back to you becoming a pharmacist in the first place. Yes. Why did you choose that route?
1: Um, I chose to become a pharmacist because I was always into. I loved chemistry, loved maths, and loved. You know, I loved the whole idea of chemistry, where you can mix things together and make a totally different substance. Um, and I, I loved healthcare as well. But I didn't necessarily want to go down the route of medicine because I, I was afraid it was going to be cutting people up all the time and lots of blood and guts and stuff. And I I, I knew the career trajectory of a, of a doctor was, you know, a good six years of medical school and then another 30 years because, you know, and a lot of my friends and family will be doctors and, and you know, they, they get their consultancy at about 36 years old after a huge amount of training. So I kind of wanted to a, a quicker route to, to being qualified and, and being able to work um, autonomously. So... Um, I chose pharmacy and uh, I, I loved it. It was definitely the, the, the job for me. Definitely uh, the career path that I chose was was right for me. And how long were you working as a pharmacist? So 20 years. So it's a five year degree, um, master's now actually. And then I was 20, I've been working, <laughs> working as a community pharmacist for 20 years. And
0: like it is a real, as you say, community hub. You really get to know the people that are coming in. In and out, you're doing more than just taking tablets down off the shelf and putting them in a tub and handing it out. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, I was in the same pharmacy for 17 years up until I left in April of this year. So I would have known my patients inside out, you know, even uh, there was no bathroom in in the little pharmacy that I worked in. So I'd have to have left to go to the bathroom. And whenever whenever I come back in, I'd see them standing there, you know, with their back to me. And I would have known who it was just from the back of them. So and very much, yes, community focused and people would come in often like every day nearly for the chats. And then you, you get to know them, you get to know their families. And then also they would they would let you know a little bit about their lives and their health questions. So certainly I loved much more being front of shop and chatting to people rather than in the back dispensing. So I, I wasn't um I, I, yeah, I wasn't I, I was more into finding out about people, helping them with their healthcare choices, etc. yeah.
0: And when did you start sharing health advice on social media? Because that obviously wasn't around when you were doing your your degree and over time that has just become a really good way for people to share advice. So when did that start for you?
1: Yeah, it has. So after I came back from my maternity leave after I had my third child, so he is nine now. So I went back to work after he was six months because he he was a bit of a surprise. So (laughs) there there wasn't much money in the bank. So I I went back when he was six months old. And, you know, the social media was kind of coming a thing there like I think it was only really Facebook and I, I had always found that people were coming to me with the same questions you know my friends my family people coming into the shop the amount of pictures I got of babies' bottoms going what's this rash you know so I decided I would just put it out there you know in an unbiased matter of fact way for everyone to to see if they wanted to and initially it was on Facebook and initially it was only written posts it was like a picture of a product or a picture of a rash and an explanation of how someone could treat it. But then as time moved on and Instagram became a thing, I was able to put up stories, so videos of myself. And I think that that, in essence, got people to be able to relate to my personality because you can, you, you can be yourself a lot more on video. Um, and that's how that kind of evolved. And then really when COVID hit, I was just disseminating, I suppose, governmental advice and making it, really easy for people to understand. And that's really where the Instagram kind of really took off and exploded. I probably, you know, I probably really increased my followers uh, over that time. And was that
0: part of your game plan at all? And I know game plan sounds like it's something shady, but, (laughs) you know, was there a time where you were like, okay, I can make money out of this or this can be a strand of my career?
1: No, uh, really at the very, uh, you know, when I started it, about nine... Or eight years ago, it was really only as an outlet to share my knowledge and to be able to direct people, even that come into the pharmacy. Look, you know, people would often come in to advice, come in for advice about breastfeeding and medication. You know, people are often told you can't do this when you're breastfeeding, you can't do that when you're breastfeeding, um, and and it's, it's actually untrue. There's lots of you know information out there about breastfeeding mothers and medicines that they can take and even alcohol that they can take, but you know, people don't really know where to find it. So. That was, it was really came from just putting it out there. And then I suppose I was picking up little nixers on the side, like people were asking me to go and speak at events. And and then, you know, I some brands came on board and asked me to, I suppose, promote their products. So it wasn't really a game plan as such, but in terms of of the the business plan that I had with with Fabio, I had always been interested in nutrition and nutritional supplements. And working in the pharmacy for twenty years, people were always coming in asking for advice on nutritional supplements. Um, I always wanted to to bring something to people that they could take that they could really understand what they're taking. That was minimal ingredients, really high quality ingredients, and specific for specifically tailored for for their needs. So say for immunity and energy, or or for, you know, restlessness or or, or lack of sleep. So that's where that came from. And it was just people coming into the pharmacy every day looking for natural products. And I was like, look, I can do this and I can do it really well because I know my stuff. So...
0: And you said at the start you loved chemistry and you yeah. loved mixing things together and making something else. And yeah. I suppose you don't really get to do that behind the pharmacy counter. Mm. You're dispensing, you're like the conduit between the pharma that's already there and the people that
1: yeah. need
0: it. So the wh- the whispers just began. When did they start to get louder that you were really going to have to do something with this so idea? F-
1: about five years ago, I, I attempted it Um, about five years ago and I really started looking into it and it didn't take it didn't i didn't get to the end of the path 5 years ago but because i wasn't very happy with the product that i'd formulated and i hadn't got the right manufacturers on board and i really wanted to do an awful lot of research before i brought something and brought my name to it so i just spent the last 5 years doing all the r and d all the you know getting the best ingredients finding out I I wanted to find people that I could work with that knew more than I did do you know that way they always say if you build a team around you they should be better than you so I knew an awful lot I was really interested in herbs and in medicine and in vitamins and minerals and and you know, pharmacognosy, which is the, the study of plants and herbs in college, was, was definitely one of my favourites in college, as well as pharmaceutical chemistry. So I knew an awful lot about that and I'd done an awful lot of extra research, but I wanted to find the best mushroom guy, you know, the the best person that knew all about ashwagandha and the extracts to use, etc. So that took time. But as a result, then I got a really good product out of it, I, you know, I probably really annoyed people along the way because I'm quite pedantic. So I'm well able to deal with a messy kitchen and a messy house. But in terms of if I'm making something, you know, in that space, it has to be absolutely 120%. I couldn't put up with anything that was less than the highest quality. So yeah, I probably annoyed people along the way, but it was it was good from the point of view that I have a really good product at the end of it.
0: And that's a really good thing to be able to tap into is your own intuition and your own compass because obviously it's a new venture so you're going to have self-doubt in there yeah, and you're going to be looking to lean on other people like you said but to get that feeling no this isn't right I I need to back out of this and go elsewhere that doesn't come easy
1: No it doesn't because in actual fact up to that point I had spent a year so like I was also working in the pharmacy four days a week um, four full days a week and then I spent a year doing um, I did the food academy with the super value so I'd applied to do that so I spent a year doing that like on my days off and at weekends and then I'd also enlisted like graphic design people I'd gone to manufacturers I'd come up with formulations we'd tried and tested them and then it just kind of didn't work but I was like do you know what this isn't a failure this is actually I've learned loads from it and actually from that failure I I, I learned the mistakes that I made that time and brought them and, and, you know, overcome them this time. So, yeah, I think that sometimes if you have something in your head and you're really, really focused on it, you know, accept the fact that it won't work out first time. And, you know, usually if it, if it works out the second time, it'll be even much better than the original plan.
0: And I don't think we talk about that enough. I don't no. think we talk about the importance of failure and how it's very much a natural part of success that you have to fail because that's where the learning is. That's where... The growth is and that things take time. I mean you're saying it took five years and at one point you had to give up. Yeah. It it does. You have to be so,
1: so patient. A hundred percent. And especially if you're really particular and you want something that is amazing, um, you have to you have to be willing to to back off if you're not a hundred percent happy. And I would say that to people because even so I launched in May on a pre sale with the, the view to starting Shipping out to people in the middle of June, which we did, and it was really busy from the get go. And pharmacists start pharmacies started getting in touch with me from three days after my launch. And my launch, when I say launch, I launched on my story in Instagram, like I just said, I have this, and people really were really interested. And um, then pharmacies kind of started saying, "Oh, can we stock your product and that?" And I, I really didn't envisage that it would go so well so quickly. So I had to quickly reorder my my products so that we wouldn't run out and as a result then people are coming to me going oh my god it's been such a success like i mean it's been like overnight i'm like no it hasn't
0: (laughs) when did you know it was going to be one or the other because i mean it does sound like life was mad you know you were doing the pharmacy you were working weekends you were doing all the research you have three kids a dog a social life (laughs) an exercise regime i don't know how you were doing it all and remaining fabulous when did you know something was going to give
1: I knew at the it, I knew in January that if I was going to really have to launch myself and give myself a hundred percent, give this business a hundred percent, I would have to leave uh, the pharmacy within a few months. Because and it wasn't even and I, you know and there was that fear as well. If I leave, I've been there for seventeen years. You know, it's a it's a stable income. It's a good income. And what if this just goes? you know, flatten its face. And there was that concern there. But I just was like, look, I need to do this right. I'm going to do something. I'm going to do it right. And then also at the back of my head, I was like, you know, if there's something always on my mind while I'm in the pharmacy, I'm not going to perform there as well. I need to give 100% to my patients too. So you can't do both and run a household at the same time. So, uh, yeah, I decided in, I talked about it in January, February, and then I Made the leap in on April the 8th. This year, I handed in my notice and I was gone by May 8th because I'd lots of holidays to use up.
0: <laughs> and I think sometimes, even though it seems so scary to take a jump, to not take it seems even more scary. So, what were you going to do? Shelve all these ideas,
1: say, No, I'm too scared, and just stay in your comfort zone for the rest of your life. I know. And I think y- you never regret what you do do but you always regret what you don't do isn't that a, an expression and that that certainly rings true and do you know what actually when I left it was just such a feeling of relief
0: where do you see all of this going do you look far into the future I'm, I'm sure that's essential in, in business goals
1: yeah, um, I suppose it's all taken off so quickly that I haven't even had a chance to to take a breath. But certainly I have other formulations that I have been working on. I, these were the first two that I was going to bring out because they're the first two essentials that I really saw people needing over the years. People wanted help with sleep. They wanted help with um, with relaxation. They wanted help with, with energy levels. And, you know, they definitely needed some to support their immune system. But there are other other. Tight formulations that I have in mind, and I and I want to bring them out. But also, you know, I love the whole wellness space. I love the whole um, advice that you can give to someone from uh, you know an educational point that I, that I have as a pharmacist and what I've seen over the years. And um, yeah, I, I who knows? <laughs> I just I suppose I suppose we'll start with this and we'll we'll see how it goes, and then and then add in services or or products as and when I feel that there they'll be they'll be necessary.
0: And what would you say then to somebody who's listening to the leap that you made and they're feeling a bit inspired? I mean, maybe it's not to set up your own business or leave your job. Maybe it's a relationship or something in their life that isn't working and there's a whisper that they're not listening to. What's your advice?
1: Listen to the whispers and just do it. Do it. It may not be immediate for you. You may you may need to take your time Um. But absolutely do it. Go with your gut. I would always say go with your gut because I, I always have in a lot of, in a, throughout my whole life, I've gone with my gut and usually it, it's worked out. And and get help and advice from people too. Like share your ideas with people because people aren't going to steal your ideas. It's, you know, and I think the sharing of ideas is lovely because you learn from each other. And if it's if it's other issues that you might be having, talk to people, get advice from people. But in you know, at the end of the day, listen to your gut and go with it.
0: Yeah, and I think it's one step at a time. It's like, what's the first step I can make? And that might be making that phone call and asking someone's advice. Don't always be looking at the end goal. Yeah. Just one step at a time gets there. And then once you get to the next step, what's the next one I can take? What's the next one I can take? But you're right. Do it. Well, I'm so glad you have because you are glowing. I mean, it could be the shrooms. (laughs) It could be that you're living the life that you set out for yourself and that it's all going so well. So, from the podcast to the supplement range, um, I wish you all the very best. Thank and, you and so much. 100% <laughs> behind you. For more, you can go to fabuwellness.com and You will find Laura, the fabulous pharmacist, on Instagram and find out more about her podcast and everything else she's doing. Laura Dowling, thank you very much. Thanks so much, Claire. Now, Brian Penny is the epitome of life transformation. A heroin addict for 15 years, on the 8th of October 2013, he made a change which ultimately led him to where he is today. An author, neuroscientist and life change strategist. He now shares what he's learned along the way and the tools and the strategies that he has used. And he joins me in studio now. Hello, Brian. How are you?
2: Hey, Claire. I'm great. Delighted to be here.
0: Obviously, when I put it in a little introduction like that, I'm sure it wasn't as linear, but it is still the most incredible transformation. I think many people will have heard.
2: Cheers. Thanks for that. It's 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 funny when I think the word transformation. It's like, uh, oh God, it was just it was just a journey I've been on, and I often talk about that. Like people, I feel like I got. I was put on a roller coaster and brought along for the ride. Like, people often say to me, God, you must have been brave, you must have been courageous, but it was just like the world, just whatever happened to me, I feel I got very lucky and the reason why my book is called Bonus Time, it feels like I'm I'm living on bonus time. I was given a second chance at life and I think it could have been called gratitude, like ultimate gratitude. I'm just so grateful to be given that second chance at life and I think the trajectory or the the energy of that gratitude has really carried me on that journey and just has carried me forward and given me the drive and the energy really to, to keep going and making changes.
0: And I feel some sort of conflict sometimes in kind of describing you with heroin addict beside your name and then describing you with PhD beside your name as if that's when you were bad and look at your good now. And I don't want to take from the hard work that you obviously put into all of your studies or to get where you are today but I think the ultimate achievement that you got was that you started to realise your own self-worth and that came while you were still a heroin addict.
2: 100% Claire, and I love I, lo- I love where, where you've gone on that as well because I even as a heroin addict that was always inside me and it's inside of everybody In you know that way it's just getting lucky to unearth that that's what really happened with me and for me it was just the lights came on it was just it was a, sw- a light switch of awareness all of a sudden I seen things from a different lens and that like the opposite of addiction for me is awareness like when you are trapped in self-deception and in that mode of just being stuck up in your own head you will just do anything to get out of your head that's what we say we drink gonna get out of my head tonight so you're gonna do that but all of a sudden it's just the aware- the light switch came on and I seen the world from a different perspective and that just sort of carried me along on the journey so nothing really changed except just a bit more awareness in my life
0: so what was that turning point? What was happening leading up to that day in 2013?
2: It was basically, so I was a functional addict. Well, functional in inverted commas for a lot of that time. And I was had different struggles, a lot of self-deception. I was lying to myself. But in the end, everything just fell apart. I lost my job. I lost every relationship in my life. The drugs stopped working. I took drugs to escape anxiety and panic attacks, terrified of my inner world. And they weren't working anymore and it was making it worse. It was like a snake trying to eat its own tail. It was actually making it worse. The drugs was making it worse. And even the my family who are incredible, they had to pull back to protect themselves. So it got to the stage where it was live or die, sink or swim. And I tried to get into a detox facility for the first time to get clean. And to make a long story short, I had a horrific a convulsive seizure, I bit my tongue in nearly in half, I had a horrific physical experience and I was rushed to the hospital and I had this experience in the hospital where I thought it was brain damaged, I couldn't label the room I was in, I'd seen a fire extinguisher on the wall and I couldn't label, I couldn't think, What what is that? And I thought it was brain damaged and I remember in that moment just kind of surrendering, I thought, I thought, I can't fight this anymore, you win, I give up, I was beaten And there was a surrender in that where I felt like I stopped fighting with my own mind. I stopped fighting with the world of of reality. And I just sort of, there was an acceptance come into my life. And that was the start of a big shift where I, I finally got off drugs. I went with a, a, a benzodiazepine detox first. That was the one I'd done at home. Then I went with heroin detox and treatment. But that was the start of a journey. That surrendering where I stopped fighting with my own mind. And I started looking at life in a different direction. And it was just like I was given a, a new lens for life. My mind sort to slow down. I start switched addictions you could say. I say I I became obsessed with learning and psychology and Eastern philosophy but it was like I put my dopamine hooks into that and I became addicted to that. I really was at the very, very start. I've gotten a bit more balanced now and that just carried me on that journey.
0: And then every time you got an achievement, whether it was a week clean, whether it was a a really helpful counselling session, whether it was doing one of your your learning achievements did that start to build up your
2: foundation? T- to be honest it, w- it wasn't really like that for me it was like um, I I had that shift in perspective it was a really quick shift in perspective it was like an energy came into my body and I remember in detox I had this profound experience where it was just like the world just felt like it was glowing that's the only way I can describe it like sensory perceptions it was like sounds were more cheerful uh, what I seen was brighter. Uh, the world just seemed brighter. And I, what I realised over time was that my mind started to slow down and went quiet. And that sort to set me off on a quest of why did I suffer so much? Why don't I suffer? Why did I feel so bloody good? And how can I share that with other people? And that's why I went into academia and done the PhD. I was really exploring the relationship between our thoughts and our emotions and stuff like that and looking for sort of not a solution but an answer to why I had that transformation and it was nearly that quest that brought me on that journey that pulled me along rather than the te- the therapy and the other work I was doing but it was sort of intermixed because I was learning about psychological tools I was learning on the way but it was really a new drive a new lust for life that pulled me on the journey and kept me going
0: And I'm a real under the bonnet kind of person I want to know what's happening when I meditate what's happening in the body and isn't that a really Funny thing sometimes. Why can't we just accept it? Why, when you get a better explanation for it, is it easier to actually do?
2: Yeah, it's really interesting. Like, there's a there's a line I I, I like to speak about a lot because people say I know about meditation, I know about gratitude, I know exercise is good for you, but it's like knowledge is not where the game is played. You've got to put the actions in. That's where you get the get the benefits. But you do have to have the knowledge first, and I think it's that curiosity mindset. Like that was a big thing for me. All of a sudden, I became insanely curious about the mind. And all of these techniques and strategies and that sort of curiosity for that knowledge drives you forward. But you've got to merge that with the actions that you're going to take as well. But the curiosity is really, really crucial.
0: So when you started backing yourself, things really started to open up for you, didn't they? From your publishing deal to your scholarship at Trinity College. I mean, I don't attribute that to simply luck, but... When you open your eyes to possibility, opportunity does present itself, doesn't it?
2: It really does. There, there's something that I've come across. It's, it's, it's kind of a thread in my own life as well. Like I've taught deeply about my own values based on some of my experiences. And it was like I lost 15 years of my life and I hadn't really got time to lose any more as such. And I wanted to do things quickly. And boldness is a core value of mine. So like I don't mind getting rejected. If I ask 10 people and I get one yes, that's a that's a win. That is a win. So that boldness sort of carried me forward in life as well. And in terms of the business, like in 2017, I got this idea in my head. I want to learn from people further along the path. So people that have gone that are really successful in certain areas. And I basically just Googled 25 most influential women in Ireland, the 25 most influential men in Ireland. And I guessed their emails. Like Bernard Bourne was the CEO of AIB at the time. So I says, Bernard Bourne at AIB.ie, Be Bourne at AIB.ie. And I just sent them all emails. And the response I got, like I was ridiculously. Authentic. I didn't even realise. I just spoke from the heart in the email.
0: What what kind of thing were you saying to them?
2: I actually says I'm a I was a former heroin addict. I'm now doing a PhD in Trinity College. I'm a, a ridiculously enthusiastic learner. I'm on a mission to help other people, especially kids and schools. I do a lot of work with kids and schools and in at risk at risk ages and at risk areas as well. And I want to learn from people further along the path. So I didn't realise at the time, but I, I had a mission. I had a story, I invoked a bit of curiosity and I got a staggering 80% success rate of people that came back to me. Built an army of mentors, advocates for me. I have great friends like Bernard's a really good friend of mine now as well. So that boldness of putting myself out there and Amy Huberman was one of the people I reached out to as well. And I had a chat with Amy and I remember something, she said something to me that really resonated. She says, if you don't ask, the answer is always no. So we're pre-rejected until we ask then we only give ourselves a fighting chance so that kind of a thread of giving myself permission to be bold and it's, it's still it's still nervous you still get fearful but that has really catapulted my, my career forward
0: And I think sometimes no is okay I think sometimes we put ourselves out there things don't go as we expect them failure is part of it I don't think we talk about that enough and I think people really start to keep themselves small I've done it myself yeah. I've gone for a couple of TV gigs they haven't happened So I've just given up and and I don't think that's part of the rhetoric enough. And you look at people, I don't know whether it's Amy Huberman, whether it's it's Bernard in AIB and you think, They've just had this linear success yeah. rate and that's not true.
2: It's not true. And it's 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 what you, what you focus on. Like I've had so many no's, but I don't focus on them. Like I was obsessed about getting Russell Brand, being on Russell Brand podcast. That never came true for me, but I don't dwell on it. It's the one thing that does jump out. So maybe it's a little itch I still, need, still, to, to I still need to scratch. Yeah, But it's, it's really, really true. Nothing is linear. And you look at like there's great examples of that, like J.K. Rowling. Harry Potter was, was, uh, was rejected 27 times before it got published. Like, failure is just a step on the ladder to success. I, I was actually, I was sort of interested in failure and success. And I love the etymology. I love looking into the meaning of words. And success comes from a Latin word, subsidiary. I'm probably butchering the pronunciation. I'm sure I am. Which means to come after so success is to come after for me that's failure you've got to fail if you're not failing you're not pushing hard enough so you've got to be failing there's a problem if you're not failing so it's about reframing failure because that means you're on the right path
0: so what's living life with values because i think that's really important that that is people's foundation but it can be hard to get your your head around what that actually is and how to find what yours are
2: yeah values oh, wow they're so they're absolutely critical for every person in life like they are the cornerstone to give you a direction of where you want to go like basically they are what's important to you some of my core values is relationships my health mental and physical and my energy I protect me energy with my life and boldness another core value of other values so you've got to find out what's important to you so you can make decisions and take actions that align with what you value so you can find your true north and Interestingly, when you speak to people about values, what what do you value? Only five percent, statistically statistically speaking, people know what they value. So that's crazy. If you if they're so important that you need to know what direction you're going in and what's important to you, if you're not like aware of that, ninety five percent of people aren't aware of that. Then where are you actually going? You don't really you're you're making decisions based on other people's agendas, maybe. So you've got to think about right what is important to me, and then keep that in mind when you make decisions. And for people thinking about that, so what what do I do? How do I think about my values? Questions are really important in that context. And something I'd say, really simple questions like would be, um, I often do this in my coaching gigs, be like, um, if you were at your own funeral, what would you want your friends to say about you? So they were loyal, they were kind, they put themselves out in the world, they took risks. What vibes would you? Or like, think of people that, really bug you so let's say let's use Vladimir Putin at the moment let's say it's ego or something like that if people like are flaky people really sort of bug bug you and that's something well maybe if they're flaky accountability is really critical for you if you don't like people being late maybe reliability is something that you value so you can think about the reverse of what you don't value and then think about what you do but questions like that can be really just really reflecting on it and it is a reflective process
0: but I think because we live in such a capitalist society, we play so much weight on making money and our mm. careers. And obviously that is hugely, um, we spend so much of our time at work and it's so in line with our identity of, of who we are and the people who find what they love. Sure, that's a life well lived. So what about the people who would in their values say making money, spending time with my family and having the crack? I mean, is that enough of a value system or is that still a bit shaky?
2: I think it is. I, th- I think you really have to listen to your gut and your 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 instinct as well. Like if you feel there's something missing, maybe there's something missing. But like for me as well, like money is sort of, um, it, it, it's a stepping stone onto true values. Like I value freedom. So I'm trying to build a business and I really want to earn more money so I can get the house I want, so I can go on the holidays I want to do, so I can p- pay employees to do other things to give me more time, so I can spend more time in schools. That's one of my dr- missions is to spend more time in school. So money is critical in the world that we live in but there's an idea of well as well around junk values we can have these junk values and money can fall into that category as well and there was a, a there was a, a story I heard one time it was like uh, Melania Trump was actually asked do you think, Would you
0: be with him if he wasn't rich? If he wasn't
2: rich and she says do you think she, he would be with me if I wasn't beautiful? So their marriage in that context was based on physical beauty and money and you can lose money physical beauty is not something that's going to be there all of the time either so they're things that are transient they're going to disappear at some stage so we need sort of these more intrinsic values things that are it's all based around people I I think that's a real key piece as well like love, respect loyalty, kindness they're really important values but it is okay having the crack playfulness and having the crack is one of my core values it is medicine for the soul it really is so that is really really important as well and we all have different values you just have to figure out what yours are or get an idea of what yours are so you can act and make decisions in the world that more align to your true authentic self
0: I'm hanging on your every word. You're listening to Alive and Kicking here on News Talk with Claire McKenna. We had better take a break. I'm talking to Brian Penny, an author, a neuroscientist, and a life change strategist. When we come back, I want to ask you, Brian, what is the message you want to get to kids at school? You're welcome back to Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna. And I'm talking to Brian Penny, an author, a neuroscientist, and a life change strategist. So you said before the break that one of your core values is getting into schools. What is the message you're looking to get into young people?
2: The message that I think young people really, really need, and I think it's something that's it's challenging in skills because they can't deliver this because it's all about you have to be able to measure certain things. That's why we have the grading systems, the Leaving certain and stuff like that as well. But what is the point of a really brilliant Leaving Cert if you can't go out and regulate your emotions and you're miserable in the real world? So it's really about... Helping these young kids to develop the soft skills like emotion regulation, self-awareness, how to be happy, how to communicate. These really critical skills that that everything else is kind of pointless if you can't develop these skills I, I do a lot of stuff around values as well and I I teach them in a different way I talk about what's your family crest like if you had a family crest what does that represent in your life because a lot of these things can be boring to young kids as well and it's true narratives and stories and, and sprinkling do you know what the big message is like I go into a lot of at risk skills in disadvantaged areas and it's like sprinkling a bit of hope and showing there's a life outside of this area where you live because I, I grew up in an, in an estate called Ladies Well in, in Blanchardstown great estate great community the well, I lived in a ladies well bubble. I didn't know there was anything outside of that world. I could see it on the news, but I didn't think it was for me. I was trapped in this little bubble and it wasn't for me. So to sprinkle in a little bit of hope with these kids, like I was at a gig in indeed um on the docks there yesterday and I got talking to this guy that wants to bring those kids into the offices in there to show them because he came from a disadvantaged area as well, to show them these are the possibilities. It's for everybody if you if you grow and growth mindset. That's a big that was a great topic last year started to work in the schools and one of the things that really resonated with the kids it was around negative thinking and growth mindset but this, this idea that we're not fixed in where we are we can grow and we can become more so that will be really a big topic in that but sprinkling the hope for these kids that they can go on and do bigger things if they put the work in
0: Yeah, I'll always remember an interview. um, My podcast is around change. And I spoke to somebody from a changemaker school. Uh She heads up the network now, but she worked in a very disadvantaged areas where there was a lot of aggression on the playground, uh, within the playground Mm. and bringing in really simple things like one of the things they did was have a mirror. And they used to encourage the boys to look in and speak to themselves with compassion and say, you're great, wow. I love you. Because she could see they were fighting in the playground and then coming into the office and bawling, crying. She was like, there's emotion here, there's heart here, there's something bigger going on. We have to stop punishing them and bringing in consequence. And we need to just open up to a bit more empathy and compassion, which is part of the the the, the change maker uh, style. And yeah. They just, they just flourished. Little things like that and having window boxes that they had to care for, they just blossomed and all that aggression just completely minimised and it just really blew my mind.
2: That's amazing. That's amazing because that's the one thing, like the challenges that some of these, these kids are going through as well. And it's it's helping them to be vulnerable because anger is really an aggression. It's just cloaked in fear. It always comes from fear. So it's really helping to get under the bonnet of their own emotions and helping them to see their own emotional world, their own inner world, so they can actually be more aware of that because that's where change really comes from as well. But keeping it simple is absolutely crucial. Like I'd go in and I'd talk about lots of different stories and facilitate the conversations with them because they don't want to go in and hear someone lecturing about emotion regulation. Like I wouldn't even use them terms when I go into the room. It's about facilitating the, the conversations through stories and keeping it simple and actions like that mirror technique. I might bring that back now in October. Yeah, because <laughs> you're that.
0: just sowing seeds, aren't you? Yeah. That somewhere is going to be embedded in them that that they'll remember as they go forward rather than, you're right, overwhelming them with all this information.
2: Definitely. And it was one example because I, I, I heard uh, through the grapevine that one of the kids, they met this group of kids that I was working with last year. And there was a lot of challenges with the teachers and they were giving out about the teachers and they'd run out of class because they'd be just so agitated and other challenges going on in their life. And they says, what was the benefits of the programme you've done with Brian? And he says, you know what, Says when the teacher, I used to just run out of class and the teacher was wrecking my head. But I'm like, that's not going to serve me. What's the point? So I just sit there and just feel feel it and just let it pass. And that just blew me away. Like that was just a seed being planted. And that was the, the best thing I could have heard. Like it really was. Very rewarding to hear that.
0: A gift you a gave gift, that yeah. guy. Um, you have a lot of courses, you do a lot of coaching. And I wanted to ask you about one of them, um, the psychology and neuroscience of manifesting. Can we talk about manifesting a little bit? Because Mm. I think it gets a bit of controversy Mm. at the minute. And I heard a podcast recently that really sparked something in me. And I ended up interviewing um, the guy behind it on, on one of the other shows here on News Talk. And he was sort of saying that there's almost an inference that you're doing life wrong. If you're not manifesting the life of your dreams, there's some shame involved in that. And and he works in the cancer space and mm. a lot of people were coming saying, I mean, I'm doing life wrong. Look, I've got cancer and there's a lot of blame involved. Um, where do you see manifesting or where do you stand on all of that? Because there's so much of it on social media and part of me and my conflict with it. Is there's a, there a that idea that you're not doing it right, and why haven't you got this life of of your dreams?
2: Yeah, it's really interesting. So it was myself and Daniela Moyle done the course on manif- on manifesting, and the big thing that we we really wanted to go in. Like, if you think that the, the the secret kind of manifesting is just that you believe and you will get, you think and you will receive the things you want, and um, some people start to believe that without putting the action in, it's absolutely crucial that you have to put the actions in. And one of the challenges that I wanted to get in, like, it's not so much the things we have to do, but the things we have to remove. And limiting beliefs are the things that really hold us back. Like, if you don't think you're good enough, if you believe you're not good enough, well, you're not going to take the actions that align with manifesting the life that you want. If you think you can't cope with difficult situations, that was the belief in my life. Can't cope with anxiety, I need drugs. That was my fundamental belief but it, so if you think that and believe that you're not going to create the opportunities in your life to be able to cope with challenging situations to build that resilience muscle and I think resilience is another funny word as well. Like I think manifesting and resilience, they're big words that represent a lot of things. And I think the challenge is we need to put more context around it. We need the label because we need to describe these things. But manifesting and resilience for that matter are different things to different people. And in the context of that guy you're talking about there as well, you would think that. So if if somebody's trying to put the work in and they're trying to manifest and they're not getting the results. I could see where that self-doubt and it could even be bad for your self-worth could come in there. So really it's, I think people need to be careful about that as well because we all start from a different starting point. And it's about compounding for me. Like what I found is, from, from building my business and doing the things I've done, there was so much hard work, so many baby steps, and some people have to work more baby steps than other people to get to where they want to go. But once you are putting the work in and you're on the right path, you are doing that and just have faith in that. But just to recognise that... It's, it's just a lot more difficult for other people and some other people will have more challenges on the way. Like if you have a couple of kids and you have other challenges, relationship challenges and you're struggling to feed your kids with the energy stuff going on at the moment, how the winter's going to look, if you're trying to manifest the life of your dreams but you're barely keeping your head above water, that's really, really tra- challenging. So self-compassion really has to come, in to, come into play there as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, I suppose one of the things that I've really learned, one of your mantras is change is possible. And Mm. it's not necessarily changing your circumstances and having a big house with a helipad and a swimming pool in the back garden, because that's kind of what we're set to believe is success. I've come to believe that success is being content in yourself where you're at and the rest kind of flourishes from there. And that actually takes work and baby steps. That's not a, a, a light switch moment. And even the self-compassion, how you're talking to yourself, they're habits that you build over time and then all of a sudden it starts to happen.
2: Yeah, that and that is the reality. There's no magic wand. There is no magic wand. It does take work and it does take uh, time. But the good news on that is that it's not about this monstrous amount of work it's not pushing against the grain and really hard all of the time the baby steps is absolutely key if you're putting small steps over time and you just keep on taking step after step after step you're not going to see it which is difficult that's the challenge for people because we want to see results but there's something going on underneath the bonnet and if you keep on putting them steps in even at a neurological level like you are changing your brain over time every time you think differently every time you you affirm to yourself positive things in your life whatever that is for you every time you're more grounded grateful for the things you have you are changing your brain you're changing your mindset so just have faith in the system have faith in the process keep on taking those baby steps
0: i saw you speak at my gorgeous friend georgie's event in the national concert hall the good glow live and you told a story at it that i'm hoping georgie and you won't mind that i rob because it's so good and it's will it make the boat go faster? Can you tell that story a little?
2: I can indeed. So it basically comes from the Great Britain rowing team in the two thousand Olympics. Their manager basically gave them this mantra: for every decision and every action they had to take, ask themselves that question: Will it make? the boat go faster. So let's say somebody wasn't pulling their weight in the team. They say, right, will we challenge this 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 guy? Will we, will we pull him up on this? Will it make the boat go faster? Yes. So we're going to challenge him. So even for the difficult situations that they had to face, getting up every morning, training every day, they'll ask themselves, will it make the boat go faster? And they made every decision based on that. They went on to win multiple gold medals in the Olympics. So I love this idea. I love the clarity of it. It's another core value of mine having clarity over my decisions. But I hadn't got both for obvious reasons. So I said, how can I introduce this into my life? So I created a metaphorical boat that's based on my values and the goals in my life. And it was, it's been really critical for me in so many ways because I've made some huge decisions based on that, even really difficult decisions. Like I rejected a scholarship initially in Trinity College Dublin uh, that was worth a lot of money based on the fact it wasn't inspiring me. I was going to be in a very kind of a toxic environment um, in, in terms of that as well and it was just bad for me energy. Some of my core values, I could feel my energy being drained when I went into the office and I was absolutely terrified of saying no and I wasn't going to say no and it was only when fate landed on my door one day and I was forced into a position I said I just can't live with this and I says, this is not going to, this isn't, this isn't going to make my boat go slower. It's going to sink my boat. And I had to make that decision. And it turned into a, a massive turning point in my life. And it's a, it's, a, it's a framework I use for nearly every big decision in my life. And a lot of decisions. I just ask myself, right, I know what I value. I know what my goals are. Does that make my boat go faster? And it's just a really nice uh, heuristic and nice shortcut to make decisions.
0: I do it all the time. So thank you for that. Not at all. A work request will come in. I'm like, will it make the boat go faster? I think, will I bring my phone to bed with me rather than prioritising sleep? I think, will it make the boat go faster? And I plug it in elsewhere. So thank you for that and for everything you do. For more on this absolute gift to this world, go to brianpenny.com. Keep doing what you're doing, Brian. Thank you for coming on. Thanks
2: so much, Claire. It's an absolute pleasure. Love it.
0: So that's it for Alive and Kicking for this week. My thanks to my producer Aidan McKelvey, to Eva Breen, and to Hugo da Silva who was on sound. And thanks to you for listening. I will see you next week. Alive and
2: Kicking with Claire McKenna, Sunday morning at 8. On News Talk.